Father, first and foremost, I want to thank you that you're a good God. I want to thank you that you love us so perfectly, even though we're so imperfect. God, I pray, Lord, that even as I speak tonight, that you may use me as your vessel, Lord. God, I pray that you soften each and every person's heart here tonight, Lord. God, I pray that they may receive something tonight, Father, something that can overflow, Father, into their families and into their friendships and into their workspaces, Father. Thank you, Jesus, that you've gone before us. Pray this in your precious name. All of God's precious children said, Amen. Awesome. You guys can grab a seat. Grab a seat. Come on, 6 p.m. service. Are you guys feeling good? Awesome. 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 Listen, we are on week three of our Anchored series. We are super, super excited. And today we're going to be speaking about hope that's stolen. The hope that you have that has been stolen from you. And even as I was just prepping for this message, a scripture, I was, I've been reading through the book of Job. Everyone's going to be like, why the book of Job? But it's just been, really, it's been a really, really good book. But there's a scripture that popped up, and I just thought, cheapest. What a scripture. So if we look at Job 8, verse 13, it says the following. The same happens. So Job's friend's talking to Job. He's, uh, he's like, the same happens to all who forget God, the hopes of the godless of the godless evaporates. Another version says the hope of the godless perishes. So what he's basically trying to say here is that those that forget God actually lose hope. And I just thought about it. The further you and I get from God and start putting our hope in other things, the more we actually drift away from God. The further you get from God, the less hope you will have. See, we, you and I, we were designed to put our hope in other things. So as you drift away, you're naturally going to start putting your hope in other things. You'll start putting your hope into our government, and you'll get disappointed. You'll start putting your hope into your marriages, and you'll get disappointed. You'll start putting hopes into our schooling system. Maybe if we change our schooling system, we might, we might have a better future, and you might get disappointed. You start putting your hopes into different things. But the thing is, when you put your hope into different things, you will get disappointed because all these things are actually temporary. But actually, we should be putting our hope in eternal things and putting our hope in God. Our hope doesn't lie in our government. Our hope doesn't lie in our marriages. Our hope doesn't lie in our jobs. It doesn't lie in our kids. It doesn't lie in our circumstances. Our hope doesn't lie in ESCOM. Our hope lies in Jesus. Amen? Before I carry on, I actually, during worship, I really felt like I needed to honor our parents in the room. I really want to honor all our parents. Like... Parents, thank you so much for investing into your kids, for making sure that your kids get to church, whether it's kids' church, whether it's View Rep, whether it's View City, like we appreciate it. God sees it and he calls you to raise, to raise your child in, God, in his way. He also says, spare the rod. I'm not going to get into that one though, but I'm, I'm not going to get into that one. But we appreciate you. We honor you and thank you for the investment that you're making to your kids it's going to impact the next generation. Thank you. Awesome. So let me carry on, let me carry on, let me carry on. 
Our hope doesn't lie on temporary things. Jesus not only came to bring hope, but He is our hope. We have hope because Jesus forgave us and He transformed us. See, the enemy's tactic is three things. He's going to try and steal your hope. He's going to try and kill your hope. Or He's going to try and destroy your hope. Now, I don't know about you, but I've gone through some hopeless seasons where it actually felt like, I don't know if there's a way out. I don't know if I can actually get through to the other side. And even as I was prepping for the, for the sermon, I just thought, what are 10 causes of hopelessness? 10 causes of hopelessness. Number one, you feel alone and abandoned. Life seems to be out of control. It's like you wake up every day, you're in the, you're in the same cycle, but you can't seem to get a grip of, of controlling things, and then you end up getting to a space where you actually feel hopeless. You don't see a purpose. You could be working in a space, or you could be in a friendship circle, or you could be in a family, or whatever it is. And it, it just seems, it seems like there's just no purpose. Fourth thing is that you could be grieving a loss, a loved one, someone close to you might have died, and you suddenly start to feel hopeless. You don't have what you, you don't have what you need. Now, I'm not talking about a Ferrari or a double-story house or that new car. No, 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 no. I'm talking about you don't have what you need in terms of making ends meet. Like you get through to the month and you're just scraping the last little bits that you have, hoping to make it pass, pass to the next month. You start to feel hopeless. You've done something wrong. Guilt can make you feel hopeless. You're deeply wounded by someone. Someone must have, might have said something. You might have been in an unfortunate incident with someone. And you start to lose hope. You get pulled into, different, into the wrong direction. You are hounded by fear. And then number 10, when it looks like defeat. When you just can't see a way out, you start to feel hopeless. See, the thing with this is that we can feel it personally for ourselves, and we can feel these things, and we can feel like, cheapest God, I just can't see a way for myself out of this. Oh God, I can't, I don't know how I'm going to deal with this grief in the season. And we can also see it in an exterior, an exterior way. Where we look at our country, for example, where we look at our schools and we can be like, God, it feels like we're, we're headed down the wrong way. Well, you might say, Lord, it feels like our schools are headed down the wrong way. It feels like our, our next generation is headed down the wrong way. And it's an ex- you look at it from an exterior space. And just before I carry on, I want to, I was reminded of a story of this lady and she grew up in a little village. And in this village, she met this guy. Now you know there's trouble immediately. <laughs> she met this guy. And when she met this guy, she, they fell in love. They got married. 
Then they had kids, but they were still quite young. They lived in this village. And, but they didn't have much. So the guy says to her, listen, my wife, I know you are six months pregnant, but I actually need to go. I need to go, I need to find work. I'm gonna go to the city, but I just need you to remember one thing. He says, just remember that I'm coming back for you. And I don't know about you, but if I'm that lady in that moment, I'm like, uh, I don't think so, hey? <laughs> and he says, no matter what happens, no matter how long I take, I need you to remember, I'm coming back for you. And so this guy, he goes off into the city, and this lady, a few months later, she gives birth, and it, re- it really is one of those situations where it's the community raises the child. She's still young, so the baby grows up, and like she, she's also still growing up, and about four years later, the child can like function by herself now. Now, this lady's still young. <laughs> this lady's still young. And so now all the guys in the village are like, we see the child, but we don't see no husband. <laughs> so they all start trying their luck. They're like, hey, 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 what's your name? Can I get your number? I don't know if they had numbers, but like, <laughs> can I, I don't know, I don't know any like, you know, you're the number one, I'm a bad flitter. I like, I don't know. And so all these guys constantly keep trying and trying and trying, but there's just this one persistent man. And so he would just consistently go up to her neighbor, hey, your husband's not here. I can tell you're suffering. Just you and your child, I'll take you guys in, I'll provide for you. Just come with me now. And she says, no, my husband is coming back. And so this guy carries on trying, he carries on trying. And then one day he brings groceries to the house and he says, hey, this is everything that I can give you. Marry me and you, you'll be good. And she says, you know what? <sighs> Things are tough. So let me take the groceries. <laughs> give me a few weeks and come back again and we'll discuss. She says, okay, cool. So he goes away. A few weeks later, he comes back and he knocks at the door. He's like, hey, I'm ready to do this. I'm going to get my uncles. You're going to get your uncles. How are we going to go about this? She said, whoa. I said, give me a few weeks. And I said, I'll think about it. And she's like, I've thought about it. My husband said he's coming back. (laughs) And so this carries on and carries on and carries on until on this one particular day, she's in her house. She's busy washing the dishes. And this car pulls in. It's a beautiful car. We're going to make it a Range Rover. Amen. A matte black Range Rover. I'm dreaming here. And she sees this Range Rover and she goes to the keyhole. She just looks out. She's trying to see who it is. And this man comes out. Goes to the door. And knocks. And so she opens the door. After so many years... There her husband was. So she gives him a big hug and he says, hey, where's our child? So the little girl comes out and he says, leave everything here. Let's get in the car. 
So they get in the car and they drive into the city. And as they drive into the city, they pass all the big houses. And then the biggest house there, there's a security guard who opens the gate for them. They turn into the house. He goes outside because he's a gentleman. He opens the door for his wife and he opens the door for his kids. And he says, my wife, I've been out here in the city and I've been working for you and our child. He says, you see this car that we just drove in? She says, he says, this is your car. And he says, you see this big house that's before us right now? He says, this is your house. Everything that is mine is yours. And I love that story so much because it brings me so much hope. It brings me so much hope to know that we might be suffering with one of these 10 things in this life where we might be feeling hopeless, where we might be suffering from, from, from grief, where we might feel like we're alone, where we might feel defeated, but it's in the name of Jesus that we have hope. And Jesus is coming back for his church. And you and I are the church. He's coming back for us. There is hope in Jesus' name. There is hope. And I pray that, that that ignites something in you, that you can, if you're feeling hopeless right now, you can realize that this temporary situation that you're in right now, there's an eternal God who's looking out for you, who is hope. He is the hope that we need. So if you're feeling stressed, if you're feeling hopeless, I want to encourage you. Jesus is our hope. Rick Warren describes hope describes three kinds of hope. He says there's a wishing hope, expectant hope, and a certain hope. Now, what's a wishing hope? It's wishful thinking, really. It's, you know, it's the thing, chances are it's not going to happen, right? It's like playing the lotto and like hoping you're going to win, but you're really just wishing. Like, let's be real. I heard, I heard a stat that you, you've got a better chance of going to the moon than winning the lotto. That's quite a scary one. All the lotto players have been like, whoa. <laughs> but that, that's the first one. We've got a wishing hope. The second one is that we've got an expectant hope. Does, this one doesn't always come true. So we can expect it, but it doesn't really always come true. Every Liverpool fan will understand that one. You expect the trophy, but then it just doesn't come through. It's praying for you guys, praying for you guys. <laughs> but this one, it's an expectant hope, right? So it's like, <laughs> Jesus Christ. <laughs> so you're expecting something, but there's no guarantee that it's going to happen until it actually happens. You see, the first two are the two that we can't build a life on. That can't be the foundation of our life. We can't build our hope on wishing, and we can't build our hope on we might be expecting, it might happen, it might not happen. We need to build our hope on the third one. And that's the certain hope. In Hebrews 6 verse 18, it says this. It says, so God has given both his promises and his oath. These two are unchangeable because it is impossible for God to lie. Therefore, 
We who have fled to him for refuge can have great confidence as we hold to the hope that lies before us. This hope is a strong and trustworthy anchor for our souls. It leads us through the curtains into God's inner sanctuary. You and I might not understand the promise that God has for us, or we might not even understand the process, but our, our hope lies in the promise keeper, not the promise. I think so often what we get wrong is we hold on to the promise for so long that we, forgot the, we forget the one who actually made the promise to us. I've always, I've always thought in the area of finances, People are constantly praying for finances. God, I pray for more finances, finances. I believe finances is a tool. But actually, we should be praying, God, I pray that you lead me the right way to, the, to where you want to lead me, to your, to your promise. Whether finances are a part of that, God, we, we serve a God of miracles. He might take you a different route and you're busy praying for finances. Finances are merely just a tool that God's going to use to get you where you need to be. So we need to keep our hope on the promise maker, not necessarily the promise. Does that make sense? Awesome. So how do we build our hope? How do we build our hope? Three things. First thing, prayer ignites hope. Prayer ignites hope. Prayer connects us to God. Prayer is actually the one thing that you and I should be doing every single day. The most hopeful people do consistently what others do occasionally, and that's prayer. That's prayer. You don't have to be loud in your prayers. The power in your prayer isn't on how loud you are, but it's about who you're putting your hope in. And there's a scripture that every time I read it, it just it lights up for me in terms of my prayer life. And that's 2 Chronicles 7, 14. God says, if my people who are called by my name humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then I will hear from heaven and I will forgive their sins and heal their land. He says, if my people who are called by my name humble themselves. So what do we know about prayer? So if we want to ignite our hope, we need to get into the presence and we need to pray. So what do we know about prayer? We need to humble ourselves when we get into God's presence. In a world where you're constantly being told it's all about you, how many likes can you get, Instagram, you know, God says, actually humble yourselves. Get off your high horse. Humble yourselves. And then the second thing he says, seek my face. And there's a difference between seeking and just glancing. I remember when I was younger, I, I learned this the hard way. When I was younger, I was sitting watching WWE. My grand told me, go fetch my charger from the room. So I did so. I went into her room. I checked in the cupboard. The charger wasn't there. So naturally, because I was watching WWE, and there's a pillow, and there's a bed, I figured, you know what, John Cena's about to get a beating today. John Cena was the pillow. <laughs> and so, for a good few minutes, I was there playing WWE, and then the next thing I hear from the living room, Sibelo! I'm like, oh my word. I said, ma, it's 
went into the, went into the living room. She says, where's my charger? I couldn't find it. And then she did the worst thing ever. She says, come, let's go have a look. <laughs> when I tell you, my stomach instantly dropped. Instantly. I was like, okay, cool. So we went in. We were holding hands, going into the room. You can imagine how fast my heart was beating at this time. And listen, my, I, I, I had the privilege of my, my, my grandmother did spare the rod. She did spare the rod. But I thought that, that was the day she was really going to, you know, that rod was going to come out. And we get into the room. As we get into the room, I swear, guys, there's like a little person who goes in there and puts it right where it was. I promise you, it wasn't there when I looked, eh? So she opens the cupboard. And guess what? There the charger was. I was like, cheapest. I almost got, I almost got my first hiding that day. But the thing is, I just glanced. I didn't look. I didn't seek for it. God tells us when we're praying, we need to seek Him. We need to earnestly get into His presence and seek Him. Because prayer isn't just a drive-by thing. It isn't just a monologue where you just talk, 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 talk. But it's actually a dialogue where you speak, God speaks to you. You speak, God speaks to you. But we can only get to that space when we earnestly seek God and we seek His presence. So what do we know about prayer? We need to humble ourselves. We need to seek, not just glance. What's the third thing? He says, you need to turn from your wicked ways. We need to repent. As we pray, we humble ourselves, we seek, and we need to turn from our wicked ways. Now, what does repenting mean? It simply means you're going one direction. You just make a 180 and go the other direction. You turn away from the things of this world. But at the end of it all, there's actually a promise. God says, he'll hear us from heaven and God will heal you and he'll heal your land. Church, if we want hope for our nation, we need to get into God's presence through prayer because the promise at the, of the back end of prayer is God's healing, is God's protection over us. If, you, if, you, if you've got hope for our nation, you need to be praying for our nation. If you've, got a hope, if you've got a hope for your kids, you need to be praying for your kids. If you've got a hope for your marriage, you need to be praying for your marriage. Why? Because we understand on the back end of that is a promise. On the back end of that is a promise. There's a quote that says, a day without prayer is actually a boast to God. A day where you and I decide we're not going to pray, we're actually boasting to God. We're saying to God, God, I can do life without you. I've survived without you. I can do this day without you. But I don't know about you, church, but I need God in my life. I need Him in every space that I walk into. I need Him with every interaction that I, that I, that I do. I need him with every conversation. I need God in every space of my life. So a life without prayer where we don't connect ourselves to God is actually a boast to God. So what do we do? To ignite our hope, we need to pray. The second thing is that we need to get into community. Community builds hope. Community builds hope. Um, late la- mid last year, we had the privilege of going up to Zambia and we got to a village in Zambia and I remember we just saw the kids, played soccer with them, but there was this one specific kid. 
which my heart just broke for. But it was one of those things where my heart broke, but I just, I didn't know how to verbalize it. So I just sort of kept it to myself and I, I just didn't know how to express it and how to tell the guys that, actually guys, this is, this is really breaking my heart. There was this girl who had a skin condition and it, it had gotten so bad that you could actually just see the veins popping through her lips and it was, she was, yeah. And I remember just thinking to myself in that moment, cheapest, we're like hundreds of kilometers away from a hospital. How are you going to survive in the sun because it's scorching hot like every day? And I remember just seeing this and just feeling hopeless. So we got back, we, we did the trip, we got back, and about a month later we had our debrief. And we were all just talking, speaking about our Zambia experience, and someone brought it up. Someone said, oh, I remember this girl who we saw in the village, and my heart just broke for her. And I was like, me too. <laughs> and a few of the other guys were also, I, just, I kept it to myself. I just thought this was just me who's seen this. And a few other guys also brought it up. And as we were talking about it, I think it was James and Jess, they said, actually, that same girl that we, were, that we saw has actually, she's, she's going through a process now where she's getting treatment. And, but before they actually said that, because everyone had started opening up about seeing this, it was like, Jeez, you felt it, you felt it, you felt it. Hope started to like, okay, so what are we going to do about it now? We've all seen it, what are we going to do about it? And James is like, you just paid a thousand rand, she'll be treated for the whole year. And we were like, whoa, there's like over 15 of us. If we all come together with like 150, we could totally supply this girl for a whole year. Suddenly a hope was built when we were in community. It wasn't this thing where I just felt hopeless in isolation, but it took someone to say, hey, guys, I'm actually feeling hopeless about this situation. Someone else could relate and someone else could relate. And suddenly a hopeless situation was turned and transformed in the space of a community. See, community, Proverbs 27, 7, Proverbs 27 verse 17 says, iron sharpens iron and one man sharpens another. Matthew 18 verse 20 says, for where two or more gathered in my name, there I am among them. When the body starts working together, we can start doing so much more. And I don't know if you guys have ever bribed before, but using coal, not wood. And you know, that if you're buying and you're using coal, you want all the pieces to be close together. And when they stack together, they get more heat from that. But as soon as one piece isolates itself, it burns out and dies. You and I were actually, if you and I find ourselves being that single call, our hope starts to burn out and die. But in the place of community, if you're feeling cold, there's a dozen other core pieces that are feeling hot and they'll start overflowing onto you and that hope and that light will start coming back to life. That's why community is important. We don't just speak about view group because we've got nothing else to say because we understand it's important. It's important for you to be in a community where people love you, they look after you, they care for you because you understand that life happens to us and you don't want to be that single call burning out by yourself. But instead, you want to be in a community with your brothers and sisters in Christ. And even in the context of community, if you're feeling helpless, hopeless, and you're in this room, 
I want to encourage you, get help. Get help. The worst thing that you can do for yourself is put on a mask and just go about your life. Get help. Speak to someone. There are people that want to help you. Can I get the keys? Awesome. And the worship team. Awesome. Get help. I love what Dieter said this morning. He says, honesty and transparency makes you vulnerable. Be honest anyways. It's going to pay off. Get help. Get into a community. The third thing is, so what do we know? We know that we need to pray. Prayer ignites hope. We know that community builds hope. And the third thing is get connected to the body. You and I need to be connected to the body. We start to complain and become despondent when we're not active. And we start to lose our hope. We were actually called to be contributors to the kingdom. Nehemiah, when he found out the news that the walls of Jerusalem had fallen down, in Nehemiah 1 verse 4, it says that, he says this, when I heard this, I sat down and wept. In fact, for days I mourned, fasted, and prayed to the God of heaven. He got into God's presence first. But later on, as you read, Nehemiah started getting active. He got a team together. And they faced trials, they faced backlash, but he went and he went on to build the walls of Jerusalem. I think a lot of us get stuck in that first verse where we're feeling hopeless and we just stay in that place of just prayer, mourning and fasting and there's no action to it and we just stay in that place. Oh, I'm just praying for it. I'm just praying for it. I think God might, I think God is trying to lose a, use a lot of us, but are we available to be used by Him? Too many of us aren't moving for the kingdom. God sent Nehemiah to build. He sent Moses to free his people. He sent a boy with a slingshot and a stone to take down a giant. There's action to this, guys. There's action to this. He sent a Zulu boy on platform to say, get connected and play your part. Get connected to the body. Nehemiah's hope was built in God's presence. It was built in God's presence. Getting into God's presence built hope. As it builds hope, it aligns you with God's vision and it gets us moving. Some of us need to get into God's presence rebuild our hope, align ourselves with God's vision and start moving for the kingdom. Can we stand? I think some of us in this room today, whether we're wearing a mask or it's just a public thing, you're just hopeless. And you're like, I understand I need to get moving. I understand I need to get into community. But actually, you first need to get into God's presence. Speak to God. Remember, it's not a monologue where you just speak, but He actually wants to speak to you. He wants to align you with His vision. So if you're in this room right now, and you're actually saying, Sibylla, I, 
I want to rebuild my hope. We want to, we're going to get into a moment of worship right now. And I want you to lay the things that are holding you down, the things that are keeping you hopeless. I want you to lay them down to Jesus tonight. And I want you to bind them in Jesus' name because that's the name that's above any other name. If you've got fear in your heart, give that to Jesus tonight. If you've got whatever you have, just lay it all down to Jesus tonight. There are two kinds of people here tonight. There's some of you that are saying, well, I'm feeling hopeless. It's just an area in my life where I just I can't see a way through and I just have no hope. I believe we're a church, we're a community. If that's you right now, then you just want to pop your hand up. Just pop your hand up if you're saying, hey, and I want to encourage this church, let's just look around and let's just pray for those with their hands up. Just lay hands on them. Let's just pray. Pray over them. In Jesus' name. Father, I pray for anyone in this room today that's feeling hopeless. God, I pray, Lord, that they can just experience you. They can be filled by you, Father. That they can realize that no matter the circumstance, that their hope is found in you, Lord. God, I pray right now that you give them a peace. Even if it doesn't make sense, Lord, I pray that you give them peace. I pray for those that have lost loved ones. I pray for those that are going through financial difficulties. I pray for those that are struggling, Lord. God, I pray, Lord, just right now for a sense of peace, a heavenly peace, Lord, to just come upon them in Jesus' name. Your name is above every other name, Lord. It's above every, any circumstance we can ever be in. So in Jesus' name, we pray for each and every person who's feeling hopeless. Church, there might be some of you in this room today that are actually saying, Sabella, tonight I need, to make a, I need to make a commitment. Or you're saying, I've actually drifted away from God and I just need to come back to Him. If that's you tonight, I want to give you an opportunity. I remember for me, my stomach was turning, my hands were all sweaty. But if that's you, then you just want to pop your hand up. If that's you saying, I want to commit my life to Jesus again. I want to start walking this journey with Him. I want to recommit my life. If that's you, just pop your hand up. Awesome, I see that hand you and Jesus if that's you awesome we're going to pray together as a church family Jesus we receive you as our Lord and Savior Jesus I believe that you died on the cross for my sins and through this belief And this confession, the Bible says that I'm saved, that I'm changed, and that I'll never be the same. Thank you, Jesus. Come on, church. Can we give Jesus a big shout of praise? Yes, Lord.